I would ask the question, what is that you're using? How do you know that it's safe to use? So some of these paddles that are coming out, uh, the device is a pretty, is a pretty hot paddle. What up chefs, it's Jared and Jason from The Kitchen and this is Kitchen Conversations, a podcast where we interview top players and influential figures in the greatest sport in the world, pickleball. If you haven't already, join our community of fellow pickleball addicts on Facebook or Instagram where you can win tons of great giveaways and even interact with your favorite pro players. You can find us on all the socials. Just search The Kitchen Pickleball or visit us on our new website at www.thekitchenpickle.com. Now, on to the show. All right, welcome to another edition of Kitchen Conversation. Today, I am with the head of USA Pickleball's equipment division. I don't exactly know your title. I know it's a long title. I've seen it before. Carl Schmitz, thank you for joining us. What is your title? Uh, it's uh, Managing Director of uh, Facilities Development and Equipment Standards. Excellent. That is a long title, and we're not going to talk about half of it. We're going to talk about the equipment part today because okay. obviously equipment has become a very hot topic in paddles in particular. Let's talk about your background and what makes you the right person because I was kind of blown away when we met in Austin, saw some of the technology that you brought in to help alleviate these problems, to identify which paddles are within spec and, and not. Um, what, what is your background? Well, there's, there's a lot of water under the bridge uh, by now at this point in my life. I've, I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, the last 20 years, I was in tech. I was uh, working for a Fortune 50 uh, technology company um, in addition to another smaller public company based in the UK. I spent most of the time abroad um, working with large customers like Alcatel and Nokia, among others. Um, prior to that, uh, I, was, uh, I was an entrepreneur for a few years. And, uh, and a recovering entrepreneur after that. And, uh, um, but I learned a lot in terms of uh, business startups, um, you know, where you have to do a little bit of everything. Uh, prior to that, um, I was, uh, let's see, oh, I was a, a racquetball pro uh, through my 20s uh, during the, the boom years of that sport and also during the tapering of that sport. I was a, a club GM through part of that. And so, you know, it, uh, it was very difficult, you know, shutting down courts or converting them to nurseries or uh, weight rooms or aerobic studios when that sport started to taper. Um, I'd moved into that sport because I, uh, having played tennis through my high school years, um, as I uh, as I moved into the the working world, uh, I was uh, actually a systems engineer with the focus on industrial engineering with Patel Memorial Institute. Um, so I was, you know, I was a, a bit of a nerd um, right out of school, um, but I was also playing quite a bit of racquetball at the time. And so I, I was able to get into that. I figured I'd be young only once and I got into, uh, into sport at that time. And then ultimately um, I was managing a couple of, of clubs in the Northwest. Nice. All right. So you sound really well-versed and in, in kind of the perfect person to be owning this. I'm going to say convergence. Yes. It's it's a convergence of uh, just about everything I've done through my life. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, so I think they're lucky to have found you, and I I feel like you're the right guy to be at the helm. So let's talk about delamination. 
that seems to be the, the hottest topic. Last year at the US Open, we had the first paddle gate, which was about grittiness. And that's a very superficial problem, right? And, and you know, yes, some paddle manufacturers might have been over spec, and that was a relatively easy issue to deal with because it was on the surface, literally on the surface. Delamination is a little bit more problematic because it's about the inside the inner workings of the paddle. Can you just, just if you can break it down, what is delamination? What causes it? And how are we going to deal with this? Well, when, when you look at a paddle, you know, it consists of several different components, but what it, when it's assembled, uh, it is essentially a beam. Um, the facial plies, the core, uh, the opposite uh, facial plies, they all form a fairly rigid member. Um, in which you know, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, additional testing uh, that we've looked at when the first open throw paddles came out to test for that rigidity. But the, the face of the paddle needs to be rigid as well. Uh, but we look at it as a, you know, as a single, as a single uh, unit, if you would. Um, we'll talk a little bit about um, uh, foam cores and things here in a few minutes as well. But um, the, the, the net of it is these paddles, um, you know, they do, the, the issue with them is that they can become uh, uh, debonded. Um, you know, they start off as a, as a beam, um, but once that bond breaks down between the facial plies and the core, um, a lot of things can happen. Uh, in the past, uh, with these paddles that did not have uh, an encircling frame, uh, the uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk about thermoforming here in a minute, um, but uh, these, in the past, these paddles uh, would just get soft and they'd be unplayable because those two, those facial plies would not be suspended and it would just become quite, quite mushy and, and almost unplayable. Uh, but this new... so let, me, let, me, let me just insert myself. So, so when you talk about that, the old way was a sandwich construction, two pieces of, of, a, of a face that went around a core and it was bonded with an adhesive. So glue basically right. put it, keeping mm -hmm. them together. And if it mm -hmm. came apart, then you'd have this kind of flappiness and it would just kind of deaden mushy. the ball. And it, mushy, Correct. right? And it didn't That's help. Right. right. But this new generation of paddles, there's about five manufacturers that are using this, this configuration. There's essentially a hard carbon tube frame around the paddle that those facial plies are bonded to. And they're also bonded to the core as well. Um, it plays normally uh, out of the box. Um, but you know, we're still researching what the, the failure mode could be. Uh, is it the adhesive? Is it the, the forming technology? Um, is it uh, temperature related? There's a number of things that we're evaluating you know, to, to determine this. Um, but the net of it is, um, if that separates from the core, it's still suspended by that rigid frame. And so there's, there's, there can be quite a bit of tension in that and, and it'll store and return energy uh, when that, that delamination occurs. Okay. So this is, so thermoforming has essentially tension in the build, right? And when it's got this frame, thermoforming has been around quite some time. It's not new. Okay. Uh, okay. It's so, so it's, it's attached to a frame. So it's having yeah. thermoform to the frame creates the tension. And then if it yes. debonds, it, it becomes like a trampoline effect. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so it's the combination of thermoforming and the edge kind of using, uh, you know, attaching it to the edge essentially. And that's, what's creating the tension. So mm -hmm. this is 
being produced within spec, right? There is nothing going oh, yeah. on fishing yeah. here. There no, not at all. I mean, the paddles are produced to spec. They go through a very rigorous testing uh, function. Um, once they're signed off on, they, they go to market with them. Now, uh, understanding what that failure mode is, uh, we, we heard that in many cases, these paddles were delaminating in cold weather. And so it was it was perhaps the, the bonding agent, um, the glue that was getting brittle and letting go. Um, in other cases, you know, the, the, the concern is perhaps the, um, uh, the overall tension across the, the paddle that's created. It's, um, there's an equivalency um, that I like to look at uh, when looking at the uh, older generation paddles with the facial ply core and, and a facial ply, they're almost like an ice cream sandwich, um, mm -hmm. but there's nothing on the sides of them. Uh, if you're familiar with the Magnum bar or, or something like that, you know, where it's fully dipped, um, it's rigid around the outside. So the, the inside of it could be completely gone, but it would still be a rigid frame around it. And so these, this newer generation of paddles with that external frame uh, around it, if you've cut one open, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, they essentially suspend the facial plies. And if that core delaminates or breaks down, then you've got a fairly active uh, surface of the paddle, at least for a short period of time. But this is only after it's been in market and we're still trying to understand what the failure mode is of those. But most right. of the manufacturers are, are leaning in. Um, they've come out with uh, updates to their, their manufacturing processes and they're very well aware that you know this needs to be taken um, taken care of very quickly. Um, they're certainly not doing it intentionally, and any performance uh, impact that uh, might be seen in this in this uh, situation is short lived. They they don't perform you know with uh, uh, an increase in power for very long. It's a it, it might be a spike and then it, it quickly deteriorates. Right. Um, yeah. So so is there any thought to alleviating this issue by changing the regulations on thermoforming or by having these edge kind of a, you know, attached at the edge? Is there any thought to that? Or is it all about using better adhesives that can, you know, go through climate change and, you know, the, the, the hitting of a ball repeatedly? Yeah. I think it's just improvements in manufacturing process. Um, I've been in contact with several of the, the manufacturers. Um, they're working on this. Uh, there, there's no benefit to them. Uh, if this if this delamination occurs uh, again, you know, a player might see a spike in, in power off the face of the paddle, but it's for a very short period of time. Um, it's very difficult to control. So really, there, there's not a great benefit uh, to them for this. And of course, um, uh, the degradation curve is fairly fast and they end up with a paddle that's uh, pretty much unusable. The players that I've spoken with that have experienced this at, uh, at the pro events that I've been supporting, um, in, in almost every case, they'll throw it in their bag right away because uh, once you lose control, it's really it's very difficult uh, to stay in the game. And so that, that's not a feature that they're really, really looking for. Right. Okay, so we have a problem that you can't see with the human eye how do we test this? And, and it's also degradation. Um, this is happening post-purchase, you know, wear and tear. And all of a sudden you now have a different functioning paddle. How, how do you, how does USA Pickleball, how does the PPA, MLP, APP, how are they going to manage this uh, and understand if something is with, not within spec anymore? Sure. Uh, and so uh, it was a, a couple of tournaments back um, 
we acquired a demo unit of an ultrasonic bond tester. And so what this does, it's got a, a pitch and a catch uh, probe. Um, it drives an ultrasonic signal into the into the uh, the feature that you're trying to measure, and uh, it will determine whether or not the delamination has occurred. And so we're actually acquiring uh, one of these devices, um, and we'll have it. Uh, let's see, uh, we'll have it next weekend at the uh, at the PPA event in Newport. Um, and then I'll have it with me at a following event, uh, an APP event, I believe it's in Sacramento, uh, the week following. So we're we're on it. Um, you know, we're, we're we want to make sure that we are using the right technology to identify the the failure mode, the issue, and uh, also we're talking to the manufacturers about what they're doing to ensure that this this doesn't continue to happen. And how does that process take place at a tournament? I'm not sure if you guys have the rules in place yet, but are are players uh, have to, you know, kind of submit their paddles before they play, or is it upon a challenge that it will be tested after? Um, yeah, what we put in place is a, uh, essentially a, an equivalent to what they do in table tennis, and it's called uh, racket control, in our case, paddle control. Uh, the, the players will submit, um, you know, a number of paddles to be tested prior to competition. Um, what we've done in the past, it's been voluntary up until the quarterfinals, and uh, and then uh, they're retested going into the the uh, the finals themselves. Um, there's a non-removable uh, sticker that's assigned to that paddle. It's tracked. Um, the actual specs for roughness are, are captured as well. And then once we introduce this bond testing um, for uh, for delamination, we'll also be recording the results of that. And so I, I think the process that we're developing, we, we launched it at Nationals uh, last November, and then we made it available to each of the, the tours um, here in the first quarter. Uh, we had a couple of events with the PPA. Um, we'll have uh, an event with the APP here shortly as well. So, uh, and then we were on site for the MLP event in Daytona just a few weeks back. Got it. And so, you know, in in the in the past, I think players were a little bit worried that that perhaps people were doing this on purpose, that they were trying to get a trampoline effect. Um, obviously, that window is pretty narrow, and it might not be to their benefit because it starts going a little bit haywire after a, a few whacks of the ball. Is there rules in, are there rules in place that prohibit you from tampering with a paddle to be manipulated to give you that trampoline effect? I, I, I know there's, I know I was gonna say, I, I know that there is a uh, dwell time test that you guys can perform, but, but to try to manipulate something, is that against the rules or is that just a, a void that we don't have to protect against? Well, there's a there's a rule 2E2 that does state if the, the paddle delaminates, then that the player must retire that that piece of equipment. And so uh, it doesn't it doesn't uh, define whether it was intentionally tampered or it was just a natural degradation of the equipment. Um, we, we think that it, it covers both, uh, essentially, but it is incumbent on the player to retire that paddle. OK, so once they recognize that something's going on with their paddle, if they feel it, that's when they should change paddle uh and, and it, are they you know are they meant to put their hand up and say hey i think something's going on i want to change out my paddle yeah i mean it's it's been consistent um what i've seen in in the ppa events uh, that i've covered um, here over the last uh, two months or so uh, the players do not want to play with these 
uh, because of the lack of control. You may get a little bit of extra heat on the ball for a short period of time, but the control is is very poor uh, in terms of, of keeping it in the court. And so uh, they'll typically retire them. So a couple of the players that I spoke with that did experience this at a few of the events this last season, uh, the last couple of months, um, they immediately parked the paddle uh, right away. And so I, I, I don't think there's a, uh, an intentional, you know, uh, a situation where someone's walking out on the court with the paddle they know has started to delaminate uh, because the, the loss of control, um, the curve in terms of uh, how fast that power ends up being lost um, really impacts the, you know, their performance. So uh, we haven't really seen anything uh, nefarious going on out there, but I, I do believe it's important that we put in place some testing uh, just to ensure that everyone feels it's a level playing field out there. And do we have any idea how widespread this is? I mean, is this something that's happening? Is this rare or is this commonplace? Do we have any idea? Uh, well, it's not a hundred percent, you know, across uh, the the paddles that are using this configuration of the of the thermal forming and the, this encircling frame. Um, you know, I've I've hit with some myself, and and they're a, they're definitely a lively paddle out of the box. Um, I, I like how they hit, frankly, um, but I, I think the the occasion is is probably a combination of things, uh, lower temperatures. You know, what we saw in the first quarter this year, I think, may have been a trigger that caused that debonding. Um, so two things I, I believe have taken place across all of those manufacturers creating those paddles that are using that configuration is that they've revisited the bonding agents that they use in the paddle face. Um, they're also uh, evaluating how the, the uh, there's a, a pressure involved in this thermal forming process. And with that rigid frame, it may keep the face of the, of the uh, paddle from truly meeting under pressure, uh, meeting the core and bonding thoroughly. So they're reevaluating the, you know, the uh, dyes you know, that they're using for these, uh, for this the forming or thermal forming. And uh, they're also looking at the, at the bonding agents that they're, they're using uh, the, the overall thermal profiles, you know, for the, uh, for the forming as well. So I think uh, they're, they're all over it. Um, it it's not a good look for them if there's a lot of paddles being retired. Uh, it, it costs a lot of money if they're coming back. And if a player, you know, feels like there's a sure there may be a spike in in uh, power or heat off the face of the paddle, it's short lived. And the loss of control, of course, um, you know, the sport's all about uh, being able to control the ball. And so they may be able to to, to hit it very hard for a short period of time. But um, it, it, the long term impact is that you know they'll they'll need to retire the paddle pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think, you know, from a, this is the pro level we're talking about where, you know, players can control uh, a very hot paddle and it does give them an advantage and there's money at stake. And so there are kind of different reasons why someone might, you know, want that or use that at the at the rec level. There's no reason for anyone to, to really want this other than a, a, a mild flex. Uh, but it's actually dangerous. I mean, especially in the hands of non-professionals, the ball's coming off really hot. And, you know, that's not good for the, for the game at, at the rec level. Um, I feel like this game is about touch. It's about rallies. Um, it's about strategy. And, that, and all those things go together. When you start having a paddle that hits the ball that hard, I feel like a lot of that is removed and it becomes a different game. Do you agree with that? 
I do. I mean, uh, I, I like to see, you know, the, the game played with its full breadth of, of uh, uh, you know, everything from, you know, the, uh, the, the softest dinks to a shootout, you know, where you're 14 feet from each other and there's some pretty blistering um, speeds, you know, that, that you'll see. Um, when those speeds exceed uh, reaction times or they're unexpectedly fast um, based on traditional play or, or the, the norm, um, certainly, you know, safety, if safety is truly an issue here, then those paddles definitely should be retired right away. But again, uh, that's written into the rules, 2E2, a, a, a delaminated paddle uh, needs to be retired. And so how do you measure, or, or is there a number when you talk about speeds, uh, you know, being out, outspeeding reaction time, essentially? Um, how does that get measured? Is there a number of, of how fast a ball should be coming off of a paddle? Uh, we don't have a metric uh, for that yet. You know, we do measure deflection, um, but that's uh, that's really not a uh, you know much of a dynamic test. It's almost static. It's a very slow application of pressure on the paddle face. Um, there is the you know there there may be the potential to to look at something like this in the future. Uh, ben Johns uh, just penned uh, an article where he's talking about um, coefficient of restitution. And, and so that's, that's something that we really need to think about. Um, how do we measure this in the future? There is a way of doing it. Um, the one thing I've noticed though, that you know, there's a, a couple of terms being thrown, thrown around out there. One is delamination, another is deflection, another is dwell time. Um, and then uh, of course we're talking coefficient of restitution now. They're all closely related, uh, but they're, they're not interchangeable. And so it's important to, to understand what those things are. You know, dwell is the amount of time that a ball spends, spends on the face of the paddle. Um, delamination, you know, we've been talking about quite a bit. Uh, deflection um, can be, you know, a very slow, uh, very slow um, process. Um, and, and again, we do measure that using a, an Instron uh, tester. And then of course, coefficient of restitution is really what we're talking about. And so uh, when you look at these, these other uh, features or defects, uh, as we're talking, you know, looking at delamination, for example, um, how fast is the ball returned off of the face of the paddle? And so you know, coefficient of restitution really is one of the things that we need to be looking at in terms of how to measure. Uh, this is done in, in other sports, um, but it is a, you know, it is a, a ballistic test. And so we'd need to introduce a new type of, uh, of, of uh, testing uh, approach uh, to be able to, to capture that data. So coefficient of restitution is essentially the speed going in and coming out. Is that, is that? That's right. Essentially yeah. it? It's a, it's a okay. ratio. Mm -hmm. okay. Obviously yeah. I knew that I was just for the people out there. I just wanted to make sure of that course, yeah. understood. right. Coefficient of restitution. Thanks, Ben. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that being said, now that we know that, you know, speed does matter and, and it does affect the way this game is played. And, and obviously injuries can occur if things are out of spec. Um, we now have manufacturers producing paddles that go outside of spec and they're under the banner of concept paddles and they're using EVA foam. What is EVA foam? Well, there's a, a number of different foams uh, that, that can be used in paddles. Um, it's not, uh, I, I wouldn't categorize all foams as being good or bad. Um, I think you might be talking about the vice, uh, for example, 
this concept paddle. I, I in fact played with it uh, for the first time uh, here this week uh, during the uh, our board offsite, and um, there's the 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 material itself isn't what we're we're concerned about. It's the rigidity of the paddle, and and so from from our perspective, you know, the paddle is a is a solid beam. It shouldn't be too flexible. The face shouldn't be too flexible. Um, the combination of materials are what we're concerned with. And there are uh, uh, paddles out there today that actually use EVA foam already. Um, but the, the combination of facial plies, uh, the form uh, overall that, that's used to enclose that, that foam core, uh, it, still, uh, it still results in a, a rigid member, which is fine. We're, we're becoming, we're less and less concerned with the materials used as we are the, the specifications and the, the performance of the product itself. And so they exist already, uh, uh, you know, many paddles out there that have passed deflection and, and the other tests that we perform uh, that use EVA foam. So it's not, it's not a, a, a barred substance by any stretch because it's been used for quite some time. Right. Okay. But that, that would make it easier to understand as the consumer that, Hey, this is an illegal substance or this is, this is not because we don't have that. It's a little bit more nuanced of a conversation. I think that ultimately what we're looking for is the, the seal of approval, right? The, the USA approved paddle. That means that it mm -hmm. fits to standard. It fits to spec. Um, the, the coefficient of restitution is, is within its means and it's not going to come off too hot. If it doesn't have that mark, we don't know if it's below or above, or is it even considered a pickleball paddle? Like, what are the rules? I, I you know, I, I made a post the other day about this, and I thought it was, I thought it was irresponsible, quite honestly. I, I, I love innovation, and I want to see us move this game forward. But when you go outside of the spec and you start making things that can go faster than they're meant to be, faster than people's reaction times. Uh, all of a sudden, if I bring a tennis racket out to a pickleball game, can I use that? Who's to tell me? Well, it's I'm no, it's, it's no longer it's no longer pickleball uh, to begin with. Um, but yeah, it's a, a great question. Uh, the the specifications are in place for a number of reasons. One is to ensure a level playing field that we're all using equipment that that performs uh, in a similar way. But to your point. Um, you know, we uh, the the sports genesis was really a it, it was a game of finesse, uh, you know, working the ball around the kitchen. And then over time, um, uh, when more and more athletic people started to move into the sport or those with rackets backgrounds, uh, that the, the sport did speed up quite a bit. We've seen new materials uh, come in as well here over the last three or four years, which are, are starting to uh, increase the ability to spin the ball. Um, there's a, a little bit more heat, you know, coming off the paddles as well. Uh, I would also, though, look at the stature of the athletes moving into the sport as well. Uh, when you look at, you know, the wave of former uh, tennis players that are, are moving into the sport that have the stroke mechanics to develop a lot of speed, it's not all the paddle. You know, there's some very solid athletes moving into the sport as well. But to your point, um, yeah, there's a, I, I think there's a, a limit uh, we put in place uh, these specifications for a number of reasons, and one of them is safety. Uh, I think it's very important to to understand that um, you know, the the paddle is meant to be a a fairly rigid member, right? Not to not to return a lot of power. Um, most of the paddles today, or an increasing number of paddles today, use what some call a raw carbon face, right? That actually absorbs energy, 
And so um, it, it's uh, very useful for finesse for touch. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, with the, the rougher surfaces, they're still you know, within spec, uh, a spec that's been around for years, uh, players are able to put a substantial amount of spin on the ball. Of course, spin allows players to hit the ball a bit harder and still keep it in the court. Uh, with mm -hmm. topspin, for example. So uh, we're seeing that there's a number of, of dynamics to this. Um, you can't really put a finger on, you know, it's just one thing. Uh, you have to look at the, the overall uh, performance envelope of a paddle, the contributing factors, how rigid is the paddle, um, how heavy is it as well, um, and then how lively is the, the surface. You know, to your point, the paddle's meant to be, you know, fairly rigid. You know, which means it's not going to not going to return a lot of power. The coefficient of, of restitution um, shouldn't be so great that you know it, it's almost a string bit, for example. Yeah. Well, so you in, in at the beginning of this, you said that if I brought a tennis racket out to a pickleball game, it's no longer pickleball. But just because a paddle looks like a paddle, what actually makes it a paddle? I mean, is it the is it the USA approved? Is that officially a paddle? If it does not have that, or if it goes above that spec, is it, I mean, there, it just feels like there's no hard, fast rules of what I'm supposed to be playing with or what I should be allowed to play with. If someone shows up to my rec game with a vice paddle, you know, I feel like well, they have well, an unfair advantage. Sure. Certainly, you know, outside of rec, if we're, if we're talking about competition, uh, the, the standard is uh, a USA pickleball approved paddle. It's gone through tests. Um, there's an, a, an understanding that no one really has a, a severe advantage in terms of roughness, uh, in terms of deflection. Those things are very important. You know, we're, we've got a, um, you know, the lab at, at NTS. Uh, it's an independent lab. They go through the tests there and only after they pass those tests and also uh, uh, visual inspection through the Equipment Evaluation Committee is, does a paddle actually receive certification. Um, what happens out in the, the rec market um, the, the accepted position is that we're all using something that's been tested and, uh, and falls within a, a certain performance envelope. Um, there are manufacturers though, that do not submit paddles for testing. And so, you know, there's a, a number of, of manufacturers that you can find in, in big box stores, for example, that, that we'll never see. You see the, these on Amazon as well, and they have no intent of ever, you know, these paddles really going out into a, a controlled uh, competitive environment. Uh, they're basically a, a high volume paddle that you know, they want to reach a large market with. Um, those, those are out of our control. You know, we, we can't actually uh, demand that they submit them for testing. So uh, if somebody picks up one of these and walks out into, um, you know, walks out into the, the rec, uh, uh, rec court, you know, to play, um, you know, I, I would, I hit with it and you can generate some pretty significant heat uh, with this paddle. Um, uh, and they, they've not submitted it for, uh, for testing uh, for a number of reasons. It's got holes in the face of the paddle, which, which take, you know, takes it out of any type of certification to begin with. Um, it's got a fairly flexible face and I, I don't think it would probably pass deflection, but they're not, not intending for uh, this paddle to be used in, in the field of competition. Um, I'm not sure I've answered your question there, uh, but there's a, I think an agreement, uh, you know, in, in the, the playing community 
that what you play with you know, will be a, a, a tested and fair piece of equipment and you won't have an unfair advantage with that. Um, beyond you know, making a statement like that and putting in place the testing processes that we do, um, there's only so much that we can do you know, to ensure that someone doesn't walk out with uh, uh, some you know, uh, uh, super paddle that, that is very different than the one that's uh, generally available on the market. And, that yeah. has and, and I understand that, that not not everybody's going to apply for USA approval, not USA pickleball approval, which is fine because some of these will fit well within spec. They just don't want to go through that process or whether it's time, money, whatever it might be. That's OK, as long as they're not souping it up as, as far as I'm concerned. But there's also no way to tell. I feel like maybe there's a another kind of uh, certification that could be, listen, this is using all the materials that are proper to use in a proper way. We haven't tested it, but we believe it to be safe. And then there's this other version that is concept paddles using materials together that we know not that, that are not within spec. They go above and they are deemed not safe according to USA Pickleball. That, that, because I feel like it's gonna be dangerous. EVA foam is quiet. Right when people take a big swing at something, you don't have the audible, uh, you know, clue to know that that ball is going to come a little hotter than you expect it. So you have, you know, less sound, higher velocity. That's a recipe for injury. That's a that's a, a very good point. Um, we are introducing a secondary certification. There are HOAs and uh, some public courts where they're very closely located to residential areas. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the, the proposal is that we'll create a, a category of recreation paddle um, mm -hmm. that is quieter. Uh, it might be closer to 80 decibels where uh, the majority of paddles are up around 85. Uh, and that's something, you know, we'll create a threshold of, of paddles that we consider quieter. They're, they're less than 85 uh, decibels and they're no higher than a thousand hertz, uh, you know, given some lab tests that we put together. This new category of paddle, it, it'll be for recreation use only. Um, and there will be some relaxation in the standards. Uh, they can use some uh, different materials. The face might be a bit softer. Example I have here is, is a Q1 by Master. I've I put, I played against that paddle. That's not pickleball. It's, it's sticky. It's it's a little I mean, sticky, and I, we've not I, I, we've not put in we've not put in place we've not put in place what those specific standards will be for this new category. This just represents a, an example yeah. of a paddle that is being produced for uh, to to try to approach that market. Right, and and I played against somebody who's using that paddle. Who I looked at it after they hit forehands that were ripped and topspin that just dove mm -hmm. like I've never seen mm -hmm. before. And I realized yeah. this this wasn't pickleball. This was a different game. I mean, mm -hmm. I was on a pickleball court, but it was not yeah. like I was playing pickleball. And I asked him to see the paddle. I'd never seen it before. I looked for the USA sticker, nothing there. And I told him that, it, I go, I don't think this is a legal paddle. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, it's a quiet paddle and it's allowed. And I thought, this is a this is a tough precedent because I everybody wants it to be quieter. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. But the rubberized texture of that paddle in particular. Yeah, that's is, a good point. So the... Yeah, if it's if it's uh, if it fails, for example, the coefficient of friction test. Um, mm -hmm. So there, there'll still be tests that that will address safety. 
Mm -hmm. um, right. And so, and, and we don't want too much deflection. We don't want it to be too sticky uh, because of the, the things that you can do with the ball with a, uh, an over, an over sticky surface like that. So uh, it's just an example of a, of a product that's been developed for this niche where a, a quieter paddle is, is needed. This, in fact, you know, they, they used a, a softer material for the face of it, and uh, it is, you know, it, it, it may be a bit uh, soft and, and sticky for some environments. So we, we still have yet to land on what those numbers will be for this, you know, this category of paddle, but there is a market for it. Um, several of the manufacturers are very interested in developing paddles for the sector. And, um, and of course, uh, on the ball side as well, developing a quiet ball for communities that uh, that that is an issue I think is an important development yeah the ball the ball seems like the easiest way to go about it right like there's there's only it's a universal so yeah it's a common denominator right it's common denominator right we're both using the same ball I could use my mm -hmm. you know my paddle I like my paddle I like your paddle but the ball is the thing that we both play with and and I feel yeah. like that's an easier way and you could almost you know there's a foam like ball out there that does not create noise but it's still mm -hmm. in the vicinity of pickleball right it might not be mm -hmm. exactly the same thing but it yeah. feels pretty much like it and it's going to be well, absolutely no sound yeah there's some some very sharp uh, engineers out there that are exploring different polymers that may have a, a different acoustic profile which which would result in a quieter ball that'd be great now the, I think the big question work. though uh, the big question jason is how quiet is too quiet and so to your point um the, the, the ball coming off a, a paddle-like device um, or some of these other ones might seem like it's coming off faster, but it's it could possibly be because you didn't have the, the corresponding sound of the ball coming off a paddle that you're used to. So your, your reactions may be a little bit slower. So I think there's a threshold where uh, we, we, we all want to be careful about it becoming too quiet uh, because we, we need those auditory cues. Uh, it's yep. almost like uh, uh, playing a, a yellow ball off a yellow paddle, you need contrast. And so, in, if, so from a visual standpoint, when it comes to audible cues, we need to hear a click or a pop or something uh, coming off the paddle. And there, there may be a frequency that it's maybe a little too low, and it it, it isn't a trigger, uh, the trigger that we need to be able to to re react and respond. Right. It's like electric vehicles, right? They make no sound. So they artificially have sounds. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's a safety issue. Um, yeah. And I would also say, like, I think that if you go to a more, a, a softer ball, essentially, right? It, it Because a wiffle ball, people laugh and they make jokes or ingest. It's a wiffle ball. How, it's not really going to hurt you. But it it is a hard piece of plastic. And when it comes, you know, flying at your head at, you know, 40, 50, 60 miles per hour, it can cause some damage and in it, you know, there are eye injuries out there. So I think that from a manufacturing standpoint, making a paddle that goes beyond spec and not putting a warning label on it, I, I feel like that's negligent in a way. And I'm not a lawyer. I've talked to a few lawyers about this. It feels like they're in pretty murky territory. I, I know you're well, not think, a lawyer. One yeah. of the few things you're not is a lawyer. So I'm not going to no. ask you to make no. judgment on it dealt with a lot uh, in my time in, in the tech industry. But um, so I, I think you're right. I think there's a, a lower threshold we have to be careful about. We need auditory cues to react and respond. And so, you know, complete stealth, uh, completely quiet game. Um, I, I don't think we really want to go there. Uh, if you've hit a foam ball, you know, the, some of the, the very quiet balls out there just that are used for, 
um, you're used for super sensitive areas, it, it, it is a very different game. It feels very different. And um, I think there is, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, perhaps uh, you know, a lower threshold of 500 hertz, for example. Uh, you know, I don't know what the number is. Um, and something to keep in mind, um, if you've dealt with, I know we're not talking about venues and facilities. Um, I do. And having to uh, react or respond to uh, complaints from from uh, neighbors around facilities about the, the noise, uh, the, the typical situation there is there's probably one or just, you know, a couple of complainants in, in a, a neighborhood that may surround a, a pickleball venue. The reason for that is while we we're measuring acoustics, we've got a pretty heavy program going on uh, to, to motivate manufacturers to make quieter paddles. Um, uh, but there's a, you know, that's a, a physical science. Um, there's a, a ancillary uh, science. It's called psychoacoustics, and it's how people, uh, how they process uh, sound. And uh, what we, we find is that uh, there, there's a small percentage of the population that that 1100 hertz that a lot of the, the paddles hit at is is jarring to them. It's a real thing. And so I, I, it's important that we look at, you know, how do we make the paddles a little bit quieter? Um, but there's, a, I think, a lower threshold to where we, we still need that audible trigger, uh, you know, something that, that uh, uh, gets us to react and respond. And so uh, I think it's somewhere, you know, I think, you know, south of a thousand hertz is good, um, but probably north of, uh, you know, four or 500 is, is needed for us to be able to respond and react correctly. Right. Well, it sounds like you have your hands full. You have a lot of a lot of things going on, and it's quite interesting, really. Uh, you know, the the auditory stuff is is quite fascinating, and I feel like it's going to help grow the game because if there's any if there's any issues with the game, it's probably the noise. And you know, if we can if we can deal with that or find a solution, uh, then I think that we're we're well on our way. Now, I just want to make sure that people don't get hurt out there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, so a combination of the uh, delamination and, and sound, uh, we're, we've got a very close eye on, on both. Um, I think, you know, there's a, uh, an interest in protecting the integrity of the game. Uh, we don't want to change it too much, uh, but there's some things that we can do to help address issues like acoustics. And, uh, and in this case, the configuration of the paddle that we were talking about before, we'll, we'll pay attention to it, make sure we put the, the tests in place uh, to, to handle that. Uh, one point I wanted to make on the, uh, on the facility side and the, the noise around the facilities, uh, it's a fairly small percentage uh, where this is happening. And uh, what we're doing is putting in place a support group. We're, we're working with Pickleball Sound Mitigation uh, run by Bob Unitic. He's helped us create some acoustic tests, which we'll be testing every paddle, and we'll be able to categorize them in a, in a, certain, a certain way. Um, and then uh, this, this other development program that I talked about, the quieter paddles for REC, uh, I think that'll be significant in terms of helping open up facilities that may have been shut uh, because of this, this uh, problem. Yeah. Well, Carl, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. I think I'm glad that we got the chance to talk and I'm glad that everyone gets to hear that the sport is in really good hands, smart people working on, you know, complicated problems. Uh, but I have a lot of confidence that, that you and amongst the others are, are the right people to 
find the solutions. So thanks. Thanks for what you're doing. You better appreciate the opportunity to, to talk with you about this. It's a, it's an important topic. It's a, um, uh, it's a bit nerdy, uh, but uh, uh, it's something that we, you know, we do need to pay attention to, you know, both the, you know, the delamination, those issues, but also the acoustics. Uh, those are, those are very important things that, that we need to spend the time and uh, understand what the, the, the solutions are around. Absolutely. All right, Carl, okay. thank you so much. Appreciate it. You bet See you later.